Good day, everyone. Welcome to the show. Paul George, Deacon Adam Cock in studio. Great to be with you. Great to be with you. I'm so inspired by that uh, dance move you just had going on. People can't see that. I know. I want to let people know because I don't want to be the only one inspired. <laughs> you choose the music so everyone <laughs> just know that, that Adam cho- chooses the music for the show. And yep. whatever comes on is the mood of the day, <laughs> by the way. Well, I mean, you were, you were pointing to the heavens with the number one. Like, we're number one. I don't know. God's number one. Yeah. Or... Last week, we recorded at like 730 in the morning. Yeah. For those of you who are wondering, do you know, if when the show comes on the radio, people often ask me, do y'all record live? The answer to that is no. No. Uh, one, because of our schedules, you know, trying to sync up. Two, because... There's no telling what we might say and have to edit. That's right. Right? So That's right. <laughs> we really don't edit the show at all. Um, you know, we don't go back and edit. It, it's recorded live. It, we pre-recorded. It goes on the radio and then on the podcast. But the times are different. And so last week, when getting to my point here, is we recorded pretty early in the morning. We did. Like 7.30 in the morning. And I chose Which is the fine. Like, I get up music, early. Yeah. But today, we're recording around 8.30. An hour later... Totally different. makes a huge difference in the way I move. Oh, yeah. Okay? Yeah. I mean, you were moving this morning. <laughs> right. Finger to the heavens. So anyway, welcome <laughs> to the show, whether you listen on the podcast or the radio. Thanks for being a part of the show. You know, it's been very interesting, honestly, Adam, because we talk about this every now and then off the show. Like, hey, are people listening? You know, what's going on? What, what's the feedback you're getting? Maybe it's been because of the the last year and a half or two years of the pandemic, a lot of people work at home, you know, a lot of like shifting, you know, the schedules, home, back to work, home, you know, all the things that are going on. Um, I've gotten more and more feedback that, you know, hey, I, I was listening to your show on a walk or at home or on the podcast, on the radio, you know, yada, yada. And that kind of gives me a little encouragement. Oh, there's one person listening. Let's keep it up. <laughs> no, I've, I've been getting the same feedback and I, I think I'm in that camp. You know, I never had subscribed to podcasts in my life. You know, I've I've listened to things as they come or whatever, but I guess it's during the pandemic. I don't know. I just started subscribing to some podcasts, including our own, including the Paul George Show. That's right. Which you can find on Google Podcasts, Apple, yep. iTunes, all kind of places. But yep. anyway. And we're going to try to get it on Spotify. Spotify. So anyway, uh, it's been a week, and I know you've been busy, but mm-hmm. do you have a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real, though? So you ever just kind of been distracted uh, off task because you were kind of distracted by something and then something bad happened? If I would say never, you would say <laughs> I was lying. So yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, that happened to uh, two police officers in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, they were let go from the Los Angeles Police Department mm. because there was footage of them playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> During a robbery in progress. So they got a call on their, uh, you know, scanner or whatever, wherever yeah. they get calls from, yeah. that they, they need to respond. They're the closest to the to the scene of a robbery happening right now. And they decided to keep playing Pokemon Go hmm. um, instead of going. And unfor- unfortunately for them, the, the cameras that are on the cars, on all the cars, you know, yeah. captured it perfectly that uh, they could not get out of it. So Now, to their defense... You know, the, the 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 world of being a cop today has just been like so crazy. So I don't even know. You know, they're probably mm-hmm. like. I mean, even if we make the arrest, you know, we're probably going to do something wrong anyway. So mm-hmm. let's just not do it. You know, 
But how funny that they were distracted by Pokemon Go, which if you don't know what Pokemon Go is, you know, I'm not I've never played. Uh, but the you know, you find these, you know, Pokemons, Pokemon characters, characters on your phone. Right. And they map them around the city all over the place. Yeah. And you can go find them. Yeah, I remember when we were at Cathedral, when it, I was working at Cathedral when it came out, and for some reason, the Cathedral Church was like a, a, a really site. special character that everybody would want. Right. And so all these people just showing up randomly in front of the and church. And you mark it on your phone, like you, you found yeah. it, and then you go to the next one. I was like, one. well, let's go talk to them. So I tried. <clears throat> it you know, it didn't go great. Try to evangelize okay. the Pokemon people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an interesting group, by the way. People who, <laughs> you know. Adults who play Pokemon Go. Yep. Um, well, like most of us with distractions, turns out this was not the only time. Oh, it was a habit. It was a habit. And so they claimed that they didn't hear the call for mm-hmm. the robbery. So they said, okay, well, let's look at the footage. Turns out this was a pretty normal thing that they would do. Um, they often played these games while on duty and didn't respond to some things because they were playing. So, yeah. You know, it kind of reminds me of how often we can get a little complacent in our life, period. You know, mm-hmm. not only we're distracted, but when we get distracted, there's there's a tendency to get into some bad habits. It can be anything, right? Like we can all admit, you know, I, I get a little off course with my diet and before I know it, like I'm eating really bad, I'm gaining weight or, you know, my health exercise, you know, you spill that over into like maybe the things we read or the things we watch and then it just kind of grows, you know, I always say like, like no one just stumbles into like big sins or huge mistakes. It, there, there's a path there. Like we kind of like begin to inch forward towards it. You know, for us, you know, who work with married couples and, and they're going through hard time or even thinking or going through a divorce, you're like, you just don't wake up one day and then you end up there, right? Like mm-hmm. there is a slow boil, slow steps, certain habits, tendencies, distractions that it just kind of grows into it. And I have great compassion for folks like that because they kind of get lost in it, right? Mm-hmm. The same thing happens in our in our spiritual life, you know, and, and, and we talked about this last week as we kind of wind in ordinary time. There's sort of this distraction of like, oh, well, it's not Christmas, it's not Lent, it's not Advent, it's not Easter, let me just coast, right? Mm-hmm. And it's actually during ordinary time that Jesus calls us the most to be focused, right? Because we don't have anything sort of like pulling us forward, you know, like yeah. intentionally. And we, we have to begin to work on the virtues that kind of help us to stay focused. Yeah, it's interesting you put it that way, that ordinary time has a unique distraction and that there's no distractions. So there's nothing to pull us out of our normal day-to-day, right? We don't, we're not thinking about Lent, not thinking about Easter. And so the only thing about ordinary time is our desire to grow in holiness. Like, there's no external thing pulling. We have to interiorly order our life towards holiness, which, by the way, ordinary time is a translation of the Latin, but it could be translated maybe more accurately, ordered time, so hmm. that... You know, our faith, the Lord Jesus, would order our days, order our time. Um, And since that is the project of ordinary time, that's when our main distractions can just creep up, right? Like our our main issues with normal spiritual life come out at this time, you know, for better or worse. Yeah. And look, you know, there's there's oftentimes people who are like, you know, you get a little kickback and be like, man, you, you, you... you're too structured or, you know, you're, you're too disciplined. And, and to their point, you say, yeah, like you could be so structured and disciplined that 
you miss the homeless person on the side of the road, or mm. you don't see the opportunity to stop and smell the roses and, and meet someone who's stumbling into the church looking for a Pokemon <laughs> and saying, you know what, I'm going to take this moment right now mm. and be present, right? You know, but I'm so focused on like my to-do list. And yes, I get your point there. However, if you don't have some spiritual discipline and structure, you're falling off the rails. You, I, everyone else, right? This yeah. is why the church has this, you know, pattern of prayer of the liturgy of the hours. You know, this is why we're called in our walk with Christ to have, you know, prayer time specifically, you know, structured in our day. And I was meeting with a, a young adult last week, uh, just kind of going going through their life and whatnot, and they're they're, you know, spiritually kind of getting off course, right? It happens to all of us. Like, mm-hmm. this is what the spiritual life is like. Okay, like, like, all right, Lord, like, bring me back. Uh, but their their daily structure was completely, you know, just woke up and been like, I'll just live my day. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen, right? And the reality is, you know, if that's the case, then we're going to be distracted by anything yeah. and everything. Yeah, I mean, that's prime ground for the, the enemy who doesn't want us to have a spiritual life to just distract us all day right so oh i'm gonna just sleep in late because it's comfortable or and i'm not gonna you know i'm gonna go to work late or i'm gonna i'm just gonna kind of you know i'm not gonna ex- you know eh, well i may exercise that or i may pray then or and then we're just kind of all over the place so to have that that discipline and focus ordinary time calls us to that right mm-hmm. which is why i mentioned last week is that the readings during ordinary time are extremely powerful because we go back to to the um the gospel readings about the life of Christ, you know, like, mm. like the, like his ordinary days, like what he did in the ordinary, you know, not, not in the desert at Lent, you know, not being born at Christmas, you know, not the Advent stories. We're going into ordinary, like his, his life with the disciples, calling the disciples, living life, the, the, the normal miracles, the, the wedding feast at Cana, all these things where Jesus is just every day and people are like, oh, I think I should write this down and record it. And Jesus <laughs> is like, I'm just, I'm living right now in the ordinary of my life. And that that's what the readings are about, right? Like mm-hmm. it, 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 it's really unfolding, which is interesting because the gospel this Sunday is, is one of those ones where if you would say that there was a mic drop moment, Right, like mm-hmm. where Jesus was like, like if he if he lived like today and they, he had these microphones and he said something and then you just drop the mic and walk away, like the gospel this Sunday is like one of those mic drop moments mm-hmm. where the crowd was stunned, where he knew exactly what he was saying and he just dropped the mic and was like, enough said, <laughs> I did my thing for the day, peace out, right? And this is when in the gospel of Luke, the very beginning of his ministry, um, Jesus walks into... Uh, the synagogue, you know, he says he came to Nazareth where he had grown up and, and went according to his custom into the synagogue on the Sabbath. So as practicing Jew, Jesus went to synagogue on the Sabbath, keep holy the Sabbath day, right? He went to worship. So, so there he is. He stood up to read and was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Now I don't know like the details here, right? Neither you, I like, was he, scheduled to read was he like a lector for the day <laughs> you know it just says like he stood up to read and was handed a scroll the prophet isaiah right he unrolled the scroll and found the passage where it is written now it says he found the passage which means i don't know if that was the passage he was supposed to read but this is the one he read mm-hmm. right 
and the passage like in synagogue and the, like they're reading the all the old testament you know like that's that's you know the scripture that they had right and we have still today the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to, to bring glad tidings to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim a year acceptable to the lord so so he says this out loud rolling up the scroll he handed it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of the synagogue looked intently at him and he said to them today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing shortest homily ever done <laughs> <laughs> love it well it reminds me of the pokemon go police situation actually because you know part of not being distracted is to have a clear sense of your purpose and your mission and this helps you decide when it's time to go off task or time to stay on task you know so these things that our Lord just said is his purpose and his mission. This is why he came, to proclaim liberty to captives, to heal the brokenhearted, these kinds of things. Well, his agenda, his day, his ordinary life, there was a margin to respond to that need as it came about, right? So when the blind would come to him, he would heal them. When the brokenhearted would come to him, he would heal them. Um, when those who were enslaved by, by the evil one or by their own sins, he would set them free. And this wasn't him being off task or distracted from his mission. This was the mission. And um, our clear sense of purpose in our life, you know, that we have that same mission that Jesus has, that he just proclaimed, we have that same mission. And so to leave enough margin in our life that when God sends us the sick, the brokenhearted, those who are captive, that we have enough space in our life to do the mission of Christ you know, and not just go about our to-do list, but to know that God's going to surprise us sometimes to preach the gospel in ways we didn't expect. Yeah, absolutely. So when Jesus proclaims this in front of the people, and he says, you know, today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying to them, like, this is me. Like, I am the one who has come mm. to fulfill this, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to cover sight from the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Like, I am here, I am in your midst. And, you know, in the ordinary everyday of our life, Jesus desires and wants to be present, to be the one in our life that's at the center who has has come, you know, to bring glad tidings to our poverty and to set us free and to, you know, so we're no longer oppressed. And that in that, we can begin to see the world differently. We see others differently. But if we're not focused in the structure of our day to allow the Lord to be the center of our life, right? Mm -hmm. through, through prayer and some rhythm, the sacraments, then, then we, we just kind of bounce around, you know. And before we know it, like, we're so off course that, you know, we we really don't know what we're doing. Yeah, and I think we've all had that experience of two different days. Both have things we don't expect in them. One of them, at the end of the day, we look back on the things we expected to do or wanted to do or accomplish, and we feel like none of it got done. And we just tell the Lord, I'm sorry, like tomorrow I'll try better. The other kind of day, we look back on our day with all kinds of surprises, things that we had on our to-do list maybe didn't get done, 
But we thank God for the amazing things he did that day that we weren't expecting, the conversation we weren't expecting to have, um, the uh, book we weren't expecting to read, like whatever way God invaded our day and shook us up, we thank God for that day. And we say, Lord, thank you for that. I wasn't expecting that. That wasn't my plan, but you were so good to me today. And those are two very different days. I would I would propose that the, if the Lord is the center of our life and if we're following him in the way that we um, desire to, we have more days like the latter. And it's not like we have our whole life planned out, and so we just follow the plan, and that is being a disciple. It's more like God has our life planned out for us, full of surprises, full of conversations we're not expecting to have, all those kinds of things. But if we're faithful to him, if, we, if he is the center of our life, like you said, um, then we have those beautiful evenings that we look back on our day and say, wow, God, you were amazing. You know, we give God glory rather than, you know, our own imperfections or inability to stay on task. You know? Yeah. You know, the best thing that I could do today is wake up, pray, let God be the center of my life and just live t- today, not tomorrow, not the next day, live today the best that I can. That's, that's it. Do the best that I can. And, and that's not always easy, but if we can do that, then that one day builds upon the other and we begin to find some, some momentum. All right, we're going to take a break. We come back. We have a weird Catholic stuff and we're not done with this Pokemon thing. I I got, I got some more. All right. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in to the show today. Paul George, Deacon Adam Cronk here in the studio. So whether you're listening on the podcast or on the radio, super glad that you decided to be a part of the show today. Yeah, thanks for putting Pokemon Go down and, and joining the program. Okay, I can imagine this conversation with these cops. So, you know, if you didn't get the first segment, you can go back and listen. But, uh, you, you know, it's like, okay, you guys were hired. You get paid, you know fairly well or whatever justly to protect and serve and to bring justice right and to, to protect the innocent from from the bad people the bad guys who make bad mistakes and <laughs> your job is solely focused and you're trained to do that yes we are right yes you went through training you know you signed the contract yes we did so let me understand <laughs> you you were made and built and trained to do that and you're playing Pokemon Go on the job. At a critical moment. Yeah. At a critical moment where, you know, yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. And, and, I, and I have to say, like, this is exactly what confession looks like. Oh, absolutely. I mean, th- you think about it. Like, I go into confession, and yeah, the priest is like, okay, so you were baptized in Jesus Christ, confirmed <laughs> in the Holy Spirit. You were called to holiness, and your job each day is to make Jesus the center of your life and to live that out, to love yourself, others, and God 
the foremost, right at the forefront. That that's correct, Father. <laughs> and so let me understand this. So you were doing this, <laughs> yes, Father. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like we, we look. Let, let's kind of like take the pressure off ourselves. Like that's you know we all get off track into the rails, and then we find ourselves like face to face with the boss, right? In confession, mm-hmm. and kind of owning up to like. Yeah, I was totally and completely distracted, right? That's mm-hmm. where that's where sin comes in. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny analogy, but it's, it is the reality for all of us. And, and the great thing is that we don't get fired. Right. Well, right. We, we could get fired for eternity <laughs> if we're not careful. But the Lord doesn't want to fire us. Like, he's ready to put us back on the job time and time again. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. He'll put us back in the furnace to purify us. Yeah, that's right. But the reality is, like, his mercy is so great. He's like, okay, all right. W- so when you leave here, can you put the phone down, stop playing Pokemon, <laughs> and get f- refocused on what's important? Yes. And that's what the act of contrition is. Mm-hmm. Like, we we make the act of contrition. We're the ones who's like, God, I am extremely sorry. I totally screwed up. I was distracted. And I pray and ask for the grace to do that no more. Right? Like, mm-hmm. we make the act of contrition. The priest doesn't make it for us. No one makes the act of contrition. And if we're not sorry, guess what? We don't get absolved. Like, so if we were like, hey, I'm really not sorry for that, the priest is like, I can't give you absolution because you don't really care or you don't want to make the change. And. <clears throat> This is where our humility comes in. Like, to make a good confession, to admit that we're off course, we have to have humility. And that's oftentimes the hardest thing is, like, i got to admit what a fool I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, confession is exactly that. I know as a clergy, <clears throat> man, you, you serve Mass every day, or as a deacon, and, and you you really get used to things, you know? Like, I mean, I, I grab the chalice that has the blood of Jesus in it for the salvation of the world, and I help the priest elevate it to heaven. That's a pretty cool moment. It's a cool moment, and I can't tell you how many times in almost two years of being a deacon, I was thinking about something else at that time, you know? And so I have to I have to put all kind of guardrails in place, which begins when I start vesting. Like, those vestment prayers are so important hmm. because if you're willing to do those with your mind, heart, and soul, then it kind of puts you in a rhythm of being present to the whole Mass. Mm. And I've found that if I'm not focused on what you might call a little thing, like when I put on my alb, I say this prayer, if I'm not focused on that, I won't be focused at the consecration, the Mm. big thing. Um, So the Church is very wise in setting times, at least for the clergy, to get back on task, to, to not be distracted. How much more so for for laity, right? Living about living their life of marriage and family with so many things to worry about that we all need those little moments of attention, those little moments of getting back on task so we don't miss the big moments. That's know? right. Okay, speaking of big moment, I've been actually waiting for this because I have no idea what you're going to say right now. <laughs> but I do know that you have a weird Catholic stuff. What? You've got to be kidding me! Why are they so weird? Weird Catholics! Stop! All right. I cannot wait. <laughs> it's been a while since we had a weird Catholic stuff. It's been a while. Um, all right, so you've heard of St. Martin de Tours, very famous uh, saint, the mm. first non-martyr canonized saint 
in the history of the church. Wait, say that again? He was the first person canonized who was not a martyr. Really? Okay. Yeah, like he was the... Interesting fact, folks. Write it down. (laughs) Yeah, before that time, um, when they would say the saints are like, you know... They were martyrs. Relics. We're talking about martyrs. But he was the first who was so holy, and there were so many charismatic gifts. He was a bishop. What what year was he around? Oh, this was the fourth century Okay, early. Early. But, I mean, he... um, Older than you and I. Oh, yeah. He healed folks. He raised people from the dead. I mean, he was the man, right? Well, anyway, during medieval times, uh, and still to this day, people accredit healing to to his um, relics. But there was a time during the medieval time period where these processions of St. Martin's relics would take place pretty regularly, and healings were, like, expected. You know, they expected people that were blind to be able to see, lame to be able to walk. It was just kind of an expected thing. Well, um, during this one town, it's recorded, that there were beggars in that town who heard the procession was going to happen. One was blind and one couldn't walk. Mm -hmm. And they liked their life as a beggar. They did not want to be healed. And so they wanted to get out of town. So they made a deal with each other. The blind man said, look, you can't walk. I'll put you on my shoulders I can't see. You tell me how to, you guide me out of town and we'll, we'll get out of Dodge, right? Hmm. Like, we don't want this healing. So that was their plan. They start heading out of town. Probably made good money as beggars. They did. They did. Um, well, they were able to get pretty close, but not quite out of town when the procession came in and they got healed. They were healed. So no longer blind. No they longer didn't even lame. ask. Right, they did not want it. They were they were running from it. They were running from it literally, and uh, God healed them through the relics of Saint Martin. And so they had to find a new way of life. You know, they had to find something new to do with themselves other than beg for alms. Um, so that's that's the weird story of how these two men got healed against their will um, by a procession of relics of Saint Martin. So it was just by the relics, like it wasn't even Saint Martin himself. That's right. You know. That's right. Which is kind of crazy. You know, we talk about the whole relic thing, you know, with weird Catholic stuff. And, um, you know, it is pretty crazy. You hear about healing. Obviously, you know, in church teaching, all healing comes from God, right? Mm-hmm. And But we believe that, that you know, answered prayers, uh, healing, whatever the case may be, can come through the intercession of saints, right, who are praying and interceding on our behalf, Right, that's the saints are in heaven. We believe that, <clears throat> and so you know. But it is interesting to you know. Oftentimes, we also talk about like you know where <clears throat> the person has to be receptive of healing, want it, desire it. You know, <laughs> and these guys are running, <laughs> running away from literally it. running it, away. It from was it. like the it was like grace just caught up with them, you know, and just yeah. hit them from behind. You know, yeah. And I don't know about you, Paul. I know that's my experience. There are times where. I kind of say I want to change or to be converted or to be healed, but actually I don't. You know, I get very comfortable with the way I think, the way I pray, the way I um, struggle. And for a lot of folks, that struggle, that wound is much more comfortable and known than the possibility of being healed, especially if, you know, if God's going to heal me of this or if God's going to allow me to change, then stuff's going to be expected of me. I'm going to have to get up and walk, you know. <laughs> got to go to work. I got to go to work. And, uh, you know, a lot of us would rather the the work of struggling than the work of living without the struggle, hmm. you know. And um, 
And I think ordinary time is when that happens. I mean, I'm sure people have talked to you a lot, said that a lot of things they tell me of, you know, like, I just, I just want to get over this and I just want to deal with this. And, and I say, well, how long have you been dealing with this? And it's been a while, you mm-hmm. know. Well, what have you done? Well, I've done these things. I mean, do you really want to be healed? Like, do you really want to get over this? Do you really want to stop that bad habit? Do you really want to stop sinning? Hmm. Um, that's a tough question, but sometimes it's the right question to be asked. Yeah, you know, the story of St. Therese, when she was young, she dealt with this <clears throat> sort of emotional ailment her whole childhood. Mm-hmm. And you read about it, and it, she calls it the Christmas miracle, where at Christmas, as sort of this young girl who was aware of some of her emotional behaviors prayed for you know that that god would just and in that that moment you know she felt like the lord you know jesus just say it's over it's done with leave it behind you know mm-hmm. and and she refers to that in her writings as this christmas miracle where where like she was healed in that moment of something that had ailed her and her family through her, like, for, for years. Um, and, you know, she refers back that. And that was a huge moment of walking away from, from an old behavior. Like, she was receptive. You know, it's interesting about these beggars who were healed. You know, that there's something about that is that, you know, <clears throat> they didn't want to leave maybe the comfort of begging, of getting used to the life of a beggar or the, the way of living. I think probably if we were to zoom out, they were afraid of what life might look like for them if they were out of prison, if they were free, if they if they could see or walk. And God in his grace knew that their life would be better healed than ailed. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like if you get underneath the intention of the intention, I bet their deepest desire was to be healed. Yeah. Right? Like when you really talk to yourself, you really get down to the bottom of it, or you talk to someone else, and you say, like, you know, do you really desire freedom or happiness? And, you know, at first they might be like, that's impossible. Right? Like when you read the woman at the well with Jesus, and she says, the well's too deep. That's what her, she says to Jesus, the well's too deep. There's no way you can get water. Do you know how deep this well is? Like there's a reference in a sense to her of like there's no way what you're saying you can do, you can do because I know that the well's too deep. And I think for these beggars, what they were saying is it's probably impossible anyway, so let's just go the other way. Mm. There's no way we can be healed or live a life of freedom because we've lived in bondage our whole life. And the same with St. Therese. There's no way until that moment where your deepest desire desires the freedom that God wants for you. Yeah, there's this level of desire that needs to be reached where the thing that we that God put in our heart, the desires God put there that are all for freedom and happiness and joy and love, like all those things that our heart was made for. But then there's this layer. It's like a hardness of heart. You know, as Scripture calls it with Pharaoh and, and other situations where there's a hardness over that. And because our heart is hardened... We think that that's our heart, hmm. right? But, but the Lord promised to give us a new heart, to, make, to take our stony hearts and give us one made of flesh, meaning that those deepest desires in us, 
that we think are so buried or so not possible, that's just stone, God wants to make it beating again and flesh and and let that become the heart of our life rather than our insecurities, our wounds, our hurts, our pride, our comfortableness, our uh, our sins. And that is kind of the fundamental interior battle, which is the spiritual life, is to exchange my sinful, hard heart for the heart God created for me. And, you know, that image of the hearts and, and of healing and all these beggars reminds me of the importance of devotion to the sacred and immaculate heart, and we might say the chaste heart of St. Joseph, because every good desire I have resonates with St. Joseph, Our Lady, and the heart of Christ, because every good desire I have comes from the same God who created Our Lady and created St. Joseph and gave Jesus his humanity, his human heart. It's the same Father of us all. And so those good desires I have that are skewed by sin are not skewed by sin in Our Lady or Mm St. Joseph. And there's a refuge there that, you know, if I don't desire to be healed right now, Our Lady desires that for me, and I can go to her. St. Joseph desires that for me. Our Lord in his sacred heart desires that for me. And I can find refuge from my own mess and wounds and pain in the furnace of love that burns in these three hearts. And so I think people with devotion to the sacred heart, Immaculate Heart, and St. Joseph's heart have a certain opportunity of grace that the rest of us might not have. If you haven't been devoted to these three hearts in a serious way with pictures in your home, uh, prayers and devotions, there's a power there to change our stony hearts and to find this new heart that God wants to give us. Yeah, I mean, pray the intercession of St. Martin de Porres or St. Therese of Lisieux, who had these, you know, miracles. And, you know, I would say this, like, <clears throat> I don't know of a person who's probably at one point in their life thought, there's no way God can do that. That's impossible. The well's too deep. You know, what I desire or need right now in my life, God can't do, right? We all have those moments of doubt and lack of faith. That, that's part of our, our human, you know, nature. But that doesn't define what God can do. You know, we, we don't define what God can do. God's bigger. Those Those guys took off running <laughs> and God healed them, right? Like, you know, so like if... if if there's a place in your life, a mo- you know, a, an area, a, a struggle, and you don't think that God can do it, it's okay to be honest with God that you don't think He can, mm-hmm. and that you you still just pray out of desperation that He can't. Or if there's someone in your life that you've been praying for for years that needs hope or conversion or something, uh, maybe it's a spouse or a kid or you know, a grandkid or a friend, like keep praying for them, knowing that like God can catch up with them, even if they're running like that, that can happen, you know? Yeah, it's true. And in his, in his time and in his way, which, uh, if you live long enough, you're going to have that experience of God moving in someone's life that you love in ways you never thought possible or planned, but he had a plan the whole time. You know, people that struggle for years with something do find healing and peace and, and restoration. But in God's time, not ours. God can zap you even though you're running. Oh, he can zap you. I mean, he catch up with you now. <laughs> he runs pretty quick. I mean, he he can zap you. I mean, what's the story of like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like right. don't look back and, you know, who was it that looked back? 
Yeah, Lot's wife. Lot's wife looked back and she got smoked, you know? She got salty. <clears throat> she got turned into a block of salt. But I mean, like in a sense, like I, I think about that imagery though, like when, in the context of what we're talking about, I was like, God can catch up with you, mm-hmm. you know? Not to, not to smite you, but to like, you know, change you, like, like totally transform you. You know, I often think of my life, like, there's no way I stopped running. Like, God caught up with me. Yeah. I mean, hands down, like, my conversion, my, my turning around wasn't me, like, yeah, I was, like, breathing heavy and I was, like, exhausted, right? Mm-hmm. So I was probably slowing down a little bit. But, like, you know, God straight up caught up with me, hit me behind the head, knocked me out, picked me up, <laughs> brought me home, you know? like. Well, that's one of the things we could do for each other is that if I notice that you're running in the opposite direction on something, I don't necessarily need to explain it to you or tell you how you're doing wrong or something like that. I mean, if I can, great. But if not, really the most powerful thing I could do is pray for you exactly that God zaps you, that God catches up with you, and that um, you just have no choice in the matter. Like, I can pray that God overwhelms you with his love and his mercy and that you're just so... uh, caught up in it that you're willing to change your life and that's one of the best things we could do for our friends and our loved ones is just pray that god catches up with them because we will run we will run away at some points we for do sure. and we take other people with us get on my shoulders man we're out it's true because <laughs> nobody wants to run alone man like yeah, no no way you know like <laughs> like come with me man we're blowing this joint you know, I just imagine those guys, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, the one that's, like, you know, on top that, that can't walk. Yeah, he can't walk, so he's on the shoulders. And but the he guy can see. can't see, so the guy and each other <laughs> away from Jesus. <laughs> so, I mean, friends do this all the time, right? Like, let's run away from Jesus together. Oh, yeah, right. Misery loves company. I mean, like, mm-hmm. we, we you lay with the dogs, you wake up with the fleas. Like, you know, like, you, you no one wants to sin alone, you know? It's like this cop these cops weren't playing Pokemon alone in a car. They're together. Like, Hey man, like, let's do this. You know, let's be completely distracted together and let's not do our job together and let's get fired together. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And you know, we have to watch our, I think one application of that is, um, you know how some, some folks just things are never okay or never right. There's Mm -hmm. always something to complain about. We all have a tendency to maybe do that. Um, but we want to spread that cheer when we're in that zone, right? Like we want to, we want other people to complain. And if someone dares to offer us a positive view of things, we just don't want to hear it, right? You know, like, you know, maybe she, maybe she's going through some stuff and you don't understand. And no, I'm telling you, it's wrong, you know, and she's da-da-da. And so that misery really does love company. And we will find a way to be unhappy with stuff until Jesus catches up with us. Yeah, and the other, the other point I'll make into that is the flip side of that. All saints had companions. Mm-hmm. And their walk to sainthood. Everyone who grows closer to Christ is has people surrounding them. Like you can't do it alone. You won't. You won't be able to to make the change, to do the walk, to ha- you know. There's no way. We all need people to encourage us and call us out and walk with us and be disciplined with us and journey with us and love us and you know carry us when we need in the direction we want to go. So that can go either way. Yeah, and in that story, I mean, the relics of St. Martin didn't walk themselves around town, so there were people um, who wanted to bless the town who apparently walked faster than the beggars, you know? Like, they brought they brought in the relics faster than they can leave town. And so when a group of people is 
willing to go quickly in the spiritual life, mm-hmm. you know, not waste time. I mean, you know, Paul, you and I both know people that are, have passed away in this past year, two years of the pandemic, maybe not from the pandemic, but just, you know, people die. And we don't know how old we're going to be when we die. We don't know that moment when we're going to meet the Lord. We have no time to waste. And so if we spend our time with people that understand that, who want to process around town to, to bless the world kind of thing, like right. let's let's build the kingdom while we're here on earth, then that's the that's the best shot we have of staying in that crowd versus the beggars who are running away. Amen to that. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk. Hey, hey. In studio. Great to be with you today, man. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were a beggar trying to get out of town, mm-hmm. what partner would you need? Like, I would need somebody fast because I'm not that fast. Um, but like, what kind of partner would you need, you think? I would need... So, I grew up with a show called MacGyver. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that show. Oh, yeah? Okay. Well, MacGyver, he could do all sorts of MacGyver things. Mm-hmm. He, you know, make things... You know, you know, and, and he was a survivor in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. sorts of tools to survive. And he would come up with them. But, you know, I would need a, a MacGyver type, you know, and I wouldn't hop on someone's shoulders. I think like if I was jetting out of town, like I would steal someone's vehicle or <laughs> take my own and, and then get my buddy to hop in. Get MacGyver. Yeah, a MacGyver friend to hop in the truck with me. And I say truck because I'm thinking, you know, if I'm getting away, I need something that's going to go off road. Mm-hmm. And I know that I could probably survive a long time in the woods. <laughs> this is what I know. So you're looking at me like, "Wow, man, you've really thought about this." Yeah. <laughs> like your face, like your face is like. But I have thought about it actually. So and you need a MacGyver, a MacGyver type, <clears throat> and you know a four wheel drive. So basically, if you Trump. want to hang out with Paul, if things go down, send him your resume, your mm-hmm. MacGyver resume. Yeah. And he'll take a look. And he might pick you up in that pickup truck on the way out. Yeah, and when things go south, we're we're out. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I would do. Nice. So anyway, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Maybe I just want to do that to get away from like all the craziness of the world. Maybe you know. So send in your MacGyver resume to Paul at Paul dot com. There's <laughs> no tell him where that would go. <laughs> Someone sent that in. <laughs> all right. How about a six-pack of questions? Question. All right, so we started our program today uh, talking about these un- unfortunate cops playing Pokemon Go on yeah. the job in L.A. So if you were going to be playing a game while you should be working, and I'm thinking like your whole life now, so include those times where maybe you played Nintendo or whatever. Like what game do you think you might play when you shouldn't play like it's that addicting what kind of game would you be caught playing 
That's a great question. Doesn't have to be a video game necessarily. No, no, no. Just I, some game. No, I would hands down like in my office have like either a batting cage or a like a golf simulator. A golf simulator. That's a good one. Yeah. And if and if that was like in my office, I mean, hands down, I'd be on every call, like. <laughs> hitting baseballs in the batting cage or like doing golf swings in the golf simulator. And I would just like have headphones in making phone calls and replying to emails or whatever. That's a great answer. And I would be completely distracted by it, but I think I would get a lot of energy out and then I'd come back to my desk and knock out a lot of things. Yeah. I could totally see you hitting your, your baseballs in the batting cage and you get the call. Hey, the queen of England's in town. Mm-hmm. She's in trouble. She needs your help. Yep. You're like, after these reps, I'm coming. Yeah. I'll be there in a minute. Let me get <laughs> one good drive in <laughs> yeah. down the middle of the fairway <laughs> and your honor, I'll be there. <laughs> so That's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Question number two. Um, distractions are a real thing for sure in prayer, in the moral life and everything else. And in this ordinary time where people, we're encouraged to order our lives around Christ, what have you found as some helpful tips to those who, you know, for example, I know I need to do this every day, but I just get distracted and I forget or I just don't do it. What are some tips you've given to people like that to actually do those next steps they know they need to do, but somehow get distracted with it? Yeah, I mean, I do think that there is great wisdom and prudence in ordering ordering your day some right and so look at your day and the time you wake up where you waste your time sort of evaluate your day right and you know certain structures are going to be in there so if if you're a college kid and and you have class schedules and a work schedule within that like put your your schedule in but your person that goes to work or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or whatever like write your schedule out. Like what's your, and what are your have to do is like, I got to bring the kids to school here. Then I got to go to work here or I go back home and clean the house, whatever the kid, like what. And then where, where, where does like your, your prayer and devotion order that, right? Like, so, and if, and if you don't put that into your day, it's not going to happen, you know? So then your, then your day is just kind of floundering around. So I, I would say like, there's great wisdom and prudence in ordering your day, around devotion, around prayer. And then everything else flows from that, you know? So do that, like, like, you know, craft that out, make it happen. You know, you don't have to be so structured where you're, where it's like, you don't have a moment in your day to breathe or enjoy or stop and smell the roses or talk to someone in the grocery store and, and allow God to just do, you know, things in your day. But like, it needs to be structured enough to where God's first, he's center, he's priority, and everything flows from there. So just start simply by like, like making your schedule more conducive to allow that to happen. Nice. All right, question number three. Um, we talked about these beggars running out of town from, from healing. Um, Tell me about the need for healing that most people walk around with that we might not be aware of. Like, how important that is, is that in spiritual growth to kind of come to terms with your own need for healing? Yeah, I think when we talk about healing, like, it, that might scare people off, you know, or, or people <clears throat> almost go to the other extreme of just saying, like, either, A, I don't need healing, and that's, you know, I can just, you know, live this way the rest of my life. 
are the other extreme of people like I'll just be so disciplined and ordered and virtuous that I'll kind of hide like my brokenness and, and, you know, within this sort of like just extreme, you know, ordered, you know, way of living. The reality is we've all broken. We all have some type of, you know, wounds or, you know, hurt or pain. And there's nothing wrong with using the word healing mainly because Jesus used it and he did it. And if so, if we are believers in Jesus, Christianity, and that God is alive and that Jesus rose from the dead, then Jesus naturally desires to come into the places in our life and our heart to bring freedom. He says that in the reading this Sunday, I have come to set people free, the oppressed free, right? Like that's us. He's not talking about someone else. He's talking about us, like you and me and everyone listening. And so I have found just like great consolation in my prayer of just like asking the Lord that question, what are the areas of your, my life that you want to set me free? I, I've become aware of maybe certain patterns or behaviors. Lord, I just invite you into that because you said you wanted to be. And and just letting the Lord breathe life into that, you know, area. And, and there's nothing wrong or uh, out of place with that. Like that is all within the realm of what we teach and believe. Right on. All right, question number four. You mentioned confession and and some insights on its importance. I'd love to hear from you. So I have two scenarios in mind. One, the Catholic who prays and goes to Mass but, like, never goes to confession. All right? The other scenario is the Catholic who goes to confession the same day, the same week, every time, um, but maybe says the same sins over and over again and doesn't really think about confession too much. Like, it's not like a on their mind this conversion in other words, confession kind of becomes part of the program, part of the routine, and maybe isn't a source of conversion and encounter like it could be. Speak to those two extremes of confession and like, what is the sweet spot of confession in my life? Like, wh- why did Jesus give me confession um, as part of my journey? Yeah, you know, and I'm not an expert in the sacrament of confession, reconciliation. Uh, you know, I personally, in some ways, do not like or enjoy confession, right? Mm. Like, because it's not easy and it's hard, you know? And I have to, like, admit my failures and sins and I have to, you know, go into that. But Jesus instituted the sacrament of reconciliation for our healing and our freedom to set us free and forgive us of our sins, right? And we have this great gift, but sometimes a gift isn't the gift that we want. And it, but it's the gift that we need, right? Reconciliation, confession is the gift that we need, not always want. And that need is like, well, we have, if we have grave sin, like certainly we need it, right? So that we can reconcile with God, we can get back on path, we can receive the Eucharist and just really enter in, you know, back in. But we don't want to misuse the sacrament. Like it's just there like for my own, you know, just whatever. Because I think in a lot of ways we forget the value of something when we use it so much, right? Like when we just like – and so I think there is this holy balance. I don't know the full answer to that (laughs) than like I need it and Mm -hmm. I go when I need it, you know, Mm -hmm. and that Jesus provides that healing for me and for you. Awesome. All right, question number five. So um, your ministry, The Art of Living, I remember you talking about it, being inspired by this quote from Pope Benedict XVI, um, that evangelization is teaching people the art of living for Christ. So my question, 
um, these two men get healed against their will, and now they're no longer lame, no longer blind, and they can't beg for alms. They have to live a new life in this healing with Christ and have to be taught how to do that. I would love to hear you just kind of explain what this um, idea of teaching the art of living for Christ is like, using those two guys as kind of a reference. You know, to live in a healed life, to live a life with Christ, takes coaching and healing and, and all that kind of stuff. What does it mean, the art of living for Christ? Why is it an art? In a lot of ways, like to sum it up, because we don't have a lot of time, but <clears throat> this great quote from Pope Benedict, who is a great theologian, and oftentimes we we give him so much credit for being a great theologian that we don't really look at the fact that he was a he's a disciple, like a lover of Jesus, and those things combine, like he really spoke with great wisdom, you know, and but what he talks about is the art of living it. it learning to live life isn't learned on our own. It's, you know, it's taught and, and we learn it from others. You know, I've learned the greatest lessons and even the lessons of, of, of living free, living a life of Christ by watching other people, by being mentored by others, right. By asking questions, by, by being, you know, kind of directed and told, right. So we don't, we can try to discover life on our own and those who, who do and just kind of make up their own, you know, life philosophies, you can kind of see the fruits of that and they're wandering all over. But the true art of living for Christ is, is not something that we learn on our own. It's taught. We're, we're, we're brought into it. We're mentored. We're discipled. That's why Jesus had his disciples and he taught them. So the art of living, Jesus did with the disciples. This is how you live life. This is, this is the way you approach things. This is what happens in this moment. And they learn that over the course of time, right? And then they did that with each other when, when Christ died and and then they discipled other people and it, and it grew right like so this art of living isn't something that's just done <clears throat> through osmosis it's done through relationships and we learn the best of how to live by surrounding ourselves with other people who are trying to do the same maybe who've been you know been through it longer than we have and you know i'll just take this in context of like say my marriage real quick is you know i didn't really learn the art of marriage from my family because my parents were divorced, you know, I learned other things, but not specifically that I had to like absorb what a marriage, a holy Christian Catholic marriage looked like. I had to find people and ask questions and be mentored and kind of, you know, gain this art of living marriage from a place that I didn't, I didn't see it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that bore a lot of good fruit you know, from doing that because, you know, here I am still married 25 years later, thank God, but it, it, it's really because of learning it from other people who were doing it. And, and that's where the humility of like, just let me surround myself with the right people, the good people. Let me, let me find some mentors, someone to disciple me, some, a couple to show us, like, let, let me rub elbows with, with other disciples. That's extremely important in our life. Right. Yeah. Right on. All right, question number six. Um, <clears throat> so these two guys knew what was going to happen because everyone seemed to know that when this procession came into town, this is what happened. Healing comes in the procession. Is there anything like that in the church today that we could point to? Like if I needed healing, um, if I knew I needed to be healed with something, bodily, mind, spirit, something, what happens today like that? Uh, where I can go to meet Jesus and encounter him to be healed. I mean, we could say it every time we receive the Eucharist, like, Lord, heal me of this. 
iniquity. You know, every time we go to Mass or confession, there's grace. We, we can't define the moment where God's going to heal us, like St. Therese of Lisieux, like at Christmas Mass, like she was healed. Or when these guys are walking away at a, at a basically a prayer, you know, procession of relics, you know. But the church still has those. They have prayer services. They have, you know, <clears throat> places where you can go and, and uh, observe relics. You know, you can go to math. They, that's the beauty about being Catholic is that there, there's so many avenues to Christ and his, and his grace and his healing that we can't just define and say that's where it's going to happen. We just, we just go and, and make ourselves vulnerable to the Lord and let him do his work. So. Right on. Don't be afraid. Be not afraid. Don't be scared. In the words of JP2. All right. Thank you guys for listening in. Great show, Adam. Thanks so much. And uh, y'all have a good one. We'll be back next week. God bless.